Some people have terrific last words, but some are just great. There was a Union commander, a general, uh, in the Civil War named John Cedric, and he had his, his famous last words. He was out looking at the enemy lines, and he said to uh, one of his assistants, he said, they couldn't hit an elephant from that distance. And those were his last words. <laughs> Oops. So I don't know what my last words will be. Sometimes you think about that. What would you like to have your last words be if you could, if you could script them ahead of time? I don't know what they will be. I know some things, they, they could be my last words. If I, if I did say them, that they, they would be my last words. And uh, for example, a, a phrase like, yes, honey, that dress does make you look heavy. I mean, that would be something that it would just be the end. <laughs> so I, I'm, this is, I'm trying to be helpful to the guys out there. There's certain things you just don't say it would be the end. You know, even if you get baited into it, you never say something like, I agree, honey, that actress is attractive. You know, just none of those things. You don't say them. You don't think them. Okay? You're just n- not true at all. Uh, I'm kidding. Hope, if I said one of those things, hope wouldn't just kill me. It would be slow and painful. Okay? <laughs> I love you. <laughs> but I say this because we're looking at Joshua's last words this week and next week. Joshua, at this point, is a, an old man. Uh, I think he's got everyone here beat at this age. Uh, he dies at, a, at 110. And these are in 20, Joshua 23 and 24, his last charge, his last uh, words to the Hebrews, to the people of Israel, God's uh, Old Testament covenant people, and what he is imploring them. So let's read today Joshua 23, and we're going to really notice here God's faithfulness. We're going to notice his faithfulness to his promises that not one word, he says, has failed. So let's read the whole thing, and then we will draw some truths out of this that, yep, this was written for uh, the people at that time, but there are truths here that we need to take into our heart as well. Verse 1, a long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel its elders, its heads, its judges, its officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes the nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. And the Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it, neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix With these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great 
and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man, one man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, and make marriages with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. This is the word of the Lord. This is our message that we have for today. Originally given by Joshua to, to the Hebrews, and this is at the conclusion of his life at the end of uh, the, this conquest period, this main period of them, them taking the, the land that God had promised to them, this land, the land of Canaan, which uh, we know as the, the land of Israel today. And uh, they had been um, successful in, the, in their conquests. And they conquered this, the land had been divided up. We see there were still some areas that, that needed to be taken, uh, but there was also a, a stage of completion here at this time. So I want to think about kind of two truths of this, uh, one from God's side and about him, and then the second part of this message will be for us. Uh, originally thinking about, okay, the, the Hebrews, but how does this also, as today, as the New Testament, New Covenant people of God, how do we respond as well? So one thing to notice in the beginning that is, it comes up very strongly in this is that God has been faithful to his promises. This states that God has been faithful. He's been faithful to his promises. Uh, the first five verses are about this. Uh, as we read 9 and chapter 14, it also says the same thing. He had, he had swore that he was going to give a certain amount of land to the Hebrews, and he had delivered. He didn't just make promises, and then uh, he wasn't able to fulfill it, or he changed his mind, uh, or intentions changed, but he was able to fulfill what he had promised to them. And it says more than once that not one word had failed. That there wasn't, this wasn't God, uh, he did pretty good, he's batting, uh, you know, 900, you got 90% of this right, there's a little bit, but he's saying that not any of this had failed, not anything of the good things that he had, he had promised. In a previous message, at the end of Joshua 21, it also states this um, with some pretty strong language as well. Let me read this. This is Joshua, end of Joshua 21, 
starting with verse 43, says, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Now one of all their enemies withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands, and not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed all came to pass. So it says that in the end of 21, and some of these passages that, that we've read in 23, such as verse 14, uh, again, underline this, not one of them has failed. And okay, we, we, we get that. But then, as we read this too, we also see, but it's also saying that there's still areas left to be conquered. And I don't know for you, but I had a little bit of a tough time kind of putting those two truths together. That on one hand, God is saying, all these things have come to pass. All these things have, have been fulfilled. I've, I've given you all the land that I promised to you. And then also saying there still remain some of these nations. Uh, there's still some nations that need to be driven out. And God's saying, I'll be, I'll be with you to, to do that. And we have to look at the historical situation. And I don't believe that Joshua is contradicting himself. The book of Joshua is doing that. I don't believe the book of Joshua is cobbled together centuries later by different uh, people writing contradictory things. I think this is uh, given to us uh, you know, by Scripture, uh, by the, the Holy Spirit. Um, and whether it was Joshua himself that originally uh, penned this or whoever the biblical author happened to be, that uh, this is the way that it ought to be. And it's, it's giving us two different uh, truths that are both true in the same time. And historically, if we look at it, we can see from the data it gives us, there was areas that were conquered. And this is from the Holman Bible Atlas. And the red areas had been conquered. Uh, but then the green areas, these are areas that, if you go to the land promises, as is written like in the beginning of Joshua, where it says, okay, this is the area that I'm promising to you. Uh, these are areas that are promised but are not conquered yet. So, yeah, they've conquered quite a bit, and if we just zoomed in on the red, it would look like a lot, but there's other areas in the green that are, are not yet conquered. And later on, under King David and others, you know, they will conquer more areas, but there's actually never been a time in Israel's history where they've actually conquered and occupied all of the uh, land that was promised. So, but both of these things are true at the same time. And so thinking about this, I think one of the things we have to kind of realize is that there's a sense where the, the conquest was, uh, depending on what part you're looking at, it was already completed, but there's another part where it's not yet fully completed the way that it, that it could be or would be one day. There's an already not yet kind of tension in this. And it's not just with um, the land promises. I think we can think of promises to us. Think of your salvation if you are saved, you've trusted Jesus Christ, the Lord is your Savior. You've stopped depending on your good works or something to get you to heaven. You've turned away from your sin and you've embraced him as your Lord, your Savior, recognizing he died on the cross to save you and your hope is in him and nothing else. If that's, if that's true and you do that genuinely from your heart, you are saved right now. The Bible says you are saved. And the Bible also says you will be saved. There's a sense where you're saved now, but you also will be saved. In a sense, you could say you're not as saved as you will be, okay? Not that your salvation is insecure. I believe once you're saved, it is locked in, it is guaranteed. But think of 
even as great as your Christian life is now, and you have the joy of Christ in your heart, you're being transformed from the inside out, but there's still sin that you deal with. There's still sin that we deal with. There's still bad attitudes. There's still problems. There's the effects of the fall, not just the sin in our heart, but there's also, you know, we have the bodies that are breaking down. Uh, we live in a sin-cursed world. Relationships are, are not the way they should be. We live in a world with all kinds of problems. Uh, Satan is, and his, his forces are wreaking havoc all over the place. This, you're saved now, it's guaranteed, and you already have eternal life with God, but you're not saved as you will be uh, one day when Jesus returns and he conquers everything and the dead are raised imperishable and you're done with sin. You're, you're no longer in the process of being transformed from the inside out, uh, but you are, you are completely transformed and you are like Christ in all your attitudes and you won't even want to sin anymore, even if you could, because your heart will be completely purified. But right now we're kind of in that in-between. That it's, in one sense it's already, but in another sense it's, it's not yet. And so I think some of these promises, the way it talks about, is about the, the kind of the already of the conquest, but there's still, there's still more. And as I said, at no time in Israel's history did they actually conquer all of this. And so I believe that the, the fullness of these land promises still remain in the future. I believe there'll be a time after Christ returns and sets up his uh, thousand-year kingdom on earth that some of these promises will be literally fulfilled. So we have this uh, fulfillment that God is, is saying that he is, uh, not one word has failed. Um, I think looking at this too, I think there's maybe another clue to help us with this. If we look back at the beginning of Joshua, and we see it says in chapter 1, verse 3, it says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses from the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards you, the going down of the sun shall be your territory. And no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And that said at the beginning of Joshua, it was given before this to Moses in Deuteronomy 11, 24 through 25. And notice in, in those places, it says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread. And so I think one of the aspects here that if God is saying he, that he has fulfilled his promises, part of it is these are the areas that they had gone out to, that their, their feet had actually tread upon. And so God had helped them in those areas and he had conquered the areas. There was still more that their feet hadn't tread upon yet and that they, they could, if they were willing to go and expand and do this. They had opened some of their Christmas presents, but there was more that was under the tree that they hadn't opened yet. Uh, you know, for those of you that are maybe my age, they're about, maybe you grew up playing Legend of Zelda, okay? And you have this computer game with this map and it's all dark and as you move around, it uncovers areas of the map. You know, so as they're, they're, they're traveling around and going this, they're, they're taking over areas and God had caused them to, to conquer and to be victorious. But there was still more that was available that he was giving them and that he would have given to them if they had been faithful uh, to conquer this as well. So they have their inheritance now, um, but there's more that they would have in, in the future. But we see here, God is being faithful to his promises. 
And I'm going to come back to this at the end of the message. Because if God is faithful to his promises then, he's faithful to us now. And he is faithful to his, his Old Testament people under the Old Covenant, the, uh, the, the Hebrews, the Israelites. And the great truth for us that remains, we're not called here to go conquer land, but we have so many promises from God. So many things that, that are directed towards you and I as uh, the New Testament people of God, as, as, as the church. And you can bank on these things. When God promises it, it is not going to fail. He isn't just, he gets some right and he gets others. And you hope you can count on him. If he says it, he promises. He is going to deliver on these things. So God is faithful. Now what about us? There's some application that is in chapter 23 that we've been looking at, and we want to be thinking about these things. And I think a big application, remember we have to look at the message to the original audience here, to the Israelites, but then we can also think, how does it apply to us? Let's say it like this. God's people, be faithful to the Lord in return. I mean, that's what Joshua is saying to the Israelites. Think about how faithful God has been to you he, he fought for you. He caused you to be able to conquer this land. You shouldn't have been able to do this. These people had giant fortified cities. They were stronger than you. There was, they were uh, dug in. You shouldn't have been able to accomplish this, but God caused you to be able to do this. And it happened. God caused this to happen. God has been faithful. And so think about that. Think about the faithfulness of God. Think about what he has brought you through. And part of the response that we are to have is to want to be faithful to him in return. To want to do it and then to live out our lives as well that we are being faithful to him. That this, this covenant relationship that God had with them goes both ways. The way that the covenant of marriage should. It's not just one spouse being faithful and the other not being faithful. That God is faithful and we know that he is and we are called to be faithful to him as well. So we can see, I'm going to give you three applications here because they're, they're in the text. And sometimes when you see a therefore, it really lets you know, hey, here's an application that's based in the passage. So I'm not, I'm not trying to just make up things, pulling them out of thin air. I'm going to give you three. And there's really three key words that I see with these that are verbs that we're supposed to do. Keep, cling, and love. Keep, cling, and love. So I'm going to talk about the first one. Be very determined, be determined to keep and to do all of God's revealed will written in the word of God. And where I get that from is verse 6. It says, therefore, be very strong. Remember this uh, whole series we're calling Strong and Courageous. He told them at the beginning, be strong and courageous. Here he's saying to them, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses turning aside from it, neither to the left hand, to the right hand, nor to the left. So part of the, the response of being faithful is God has given them instructions. He's told them what uh, he wants them to do. This is what we call God's revealed will. This is God, he spells it out for us that this is my will for you. This is what I want you to do. And they don't have to guess what it is because he has written it out. They don't even have to find you know, some prophet to inquire about. They don't have to uh, just, um, you know, try, all they have to do is look at what has been written down. 
And this has been spelled out for them. They have the book of the law of Moses, uh, Exodus and all the, the rules and regulations that are given for their good and for their guidance in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And they need to look at this and be careful. They need to study this to understand what it says and how to live it out. And not to swerve from it, but to go right down the middle, not right hand or the left hand, making changes or uh, making a mistake on this direction or making the opposite mistake. Sometimes we make the opposite, we try to avoid falling into one ditch and we fall into the other. And this is saying, no, just do what you're told to do, to keep it and to do it. Not that you just want to, but you live this out. I saw something that made me think of a kind of example about this. You know, most people, if you're a Christian, will say that they want to do God's will. You know, they want to do what's right. But I think a problem that often has is we make ourselves the measure of what is right. We base it on our feelings instead of what's actually written down. I saw a, uh, on the internet an article by um, uh, the website called Not The Bee. I'll explain if you don't know what this is. There's, um, if you're on Facebook, there's a website called The Babylon Bee, which does like Christian parodies. And it, it's pretty funny. And uh, they'll make fun of uh, sometimes Christian culture or politics, and it's uh, pretty enjoyable. But they would have these, you know, kind of spoofs, uh, kind of fake news stories. Uh, But then once in a while, you know, our world has gone crazy. I don't know if you noticed that. But sometimes, you know, the actual news stories were more crazy than the made-up things they had. And so they made like a separate site called Not the Bee, uh, so basically saying these are actual things. These are not uh, parodies that we're making up. This is actual truth, but you shake your head and say, I can't believe this, except that the world has gone crazy. And one that I, I just saw um, basically uh, talked about a, a Christian, um, basically pornography model, this is the, the headline. Uh, this Christian uh, model says, God is cool with her porn because, quote, I asked God if I should continue stripping, and the answer was yes. You think, well, that's got to be made up. Nope. This was somebody legitimately saying this and had an article that was you know, in some, some magazine, and she had a quote and said, I asked God if I, this is the exact quote, I asked God if I should continue stripping off, and the answer was always Yes. And you shake your head and say, are you kidding? This, is, this has got to be a parody. This has got to be made up. But nope, this was somebody. Um, and we say that's pretty you know, radical. But think of how many people in the world basically are taking that same attitude. They want to do something. And they, uh, instead of actually looking, what does the actual Bible have to say about this? That's actually kind of in black and white. Um, she's saying, well, she at least prayed about it. Uh, but I will tell you for certainly that, that God did not tell her this was okay. Okay, because God does not contradict himself. He doesn't spell something out in scripture and then supposedly tell you in your heart something that's completely different. And so whether it's something like this or something different, you know, and you, are, you claim that you have prayed about something and you claim that the answer that God has given you is something that is different from his actual revealed will, his written will in scripture, your feelings are wrong, okay? Your imagination is wrong. What is true and what is lasting is what God has put in the word of God. 
This is objective truth. And I'm so thankful that God has given us a word of God, that it's written down, that it is objective. Um, you think of the difference between objective and subjective and kind of what that means. And those are kind of abstract concepts. Uh, the way that helped me to kind of think about those, when you're in school and you have to take a test, some tests are objective, meaning that no matter who grades it, let's say, you're going to get the, the same answer. You're going to get the same grade. Okay, you have a math test. It doesn't matter which teacher grades it. If they're doing it right, you know, if you got 80% correct, you're going to get an 80%, and you'll get whatever grade it is. Or something where there, there's facts, and you either got it right or you got it wrong. And there's an answer key, and you know what it is. That's objective. But there's some uh, things that maybe you do in school where it's subjective. I mean, you have to write a paper, and you have to turn it into a, a teacher or a professor. I was hated grading these when I was, uh, when I teach at the seminary or at the college, because I feel like, how do I know? Is this an A? Is it an A minus? Is it a B? And I realize, you know, it, depending if I'm, if it's the first paper I'm doing or if it's the last paper I'm doing, you know, I might give it a different grade depending on how I'm feeling. You know, and you could turn in a paper that you have and two different, you know, teachers could grade it and one could say it's great and one could say it's terrible. And there's supposed to be things that go by, um, you know, different, clear, you know, uh, standards that they're supposed to use, but there's, you don't know for sure. So if they're having a good day or if they don't like you or if they don't like your position, you could get something. It's subjective. And so much of uh, our world today, it's all about what is subjective based on feelings. Uh, Dr. Rogers talked about this in last week's message, just this relativism, that there's no objective standard to truth. And the beautiful thing about having God's written word is it's objective. It's outside of ourselves. If you're thinking, I don't know what I should do, you know, should I, how should I treat my spouse? How should I do this? There's ways you can look at scripture and you can get friends together and say, help me find this out. Let's look at these passages. What does it say? Am I understanding this correctly? You can look at it together. You know, they can't peer in your heart, in your feelings. And so if it's subjective like that, you're the only one that supposedly knows and we lie to ourselves all the time. But God's written word, his revealed moral will for us is objective. And so we need to be, to be careful for us to do this if you love Jesus, you've been saved, you're one of God's uh, New Testament, New Covenant people of the church, we want to obey him. We want to live for him out of, out of gratefulness. And so we too want to be strong to keep and do all that is written. And not just in the book of uh, Moses, but everything in scripture that, that applies to us. And so we need to be in this book I think a lot of people, they don't really want to look at it because they're afraid of what it's going to say. And they'd rather just follow their own feelings or follow their own heart. But instead, we need to be in the Bible, studying it, and also studying with other people. It really helps so that we can stand under it and we can live it out and do what is actually said. And so this lady in this, this article, if she had looked at this, I mean, there is plenty of scripture I mean, some of the Ten Commandments, uh, you know, the Seventh Commandment, don't commit adultery. And Jesus, when he talked about that in Matthew 5, 27 and 28 said, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his, his heart. And basically, 
um, if this woman is making this online uh, pornography like that, I mean, that's what she is enticing people to do. And this is obviously something that is not according to God's commandment. The 10th commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Hebrews 13, 4, let the marriage be, excuse me, let the marriage, uh, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. And there's plenty of black and white things to help you know that this is what's right and what is wrong. So that applies to all of us. We need to look, what are things we want to do? And that might be some, you know, dealing with some sin that we consider scandalous, or maybe it's about the bitterness in our heart. Maybe about the attitudes we have or the pride we have. We need to keep looking at God's word uh, so that we can be careful to, to live these things out. So read it, be in it, study it. If you're taking all your time just um, being in this world, that's what you're going to absorb. We need to be in scripture. And you know what? You're not going to keep God's word perfectly. I mean, we want to. That's our goal. And that's what Joshua was imploring them. But you're not going to. And that's why it's a beautiful and a critical thing that we have a Savior that did what we couldn't do. That even if you resolved in your heart from now to the day you die to keep God's law perfectly, and you should try to, but you're not going to. And you already have the sins that are in the past. But Jesus Christ did keep God's law perfectly from beginning to end. And so when you accept him, you trust him in faith as your savior, not only does he take the blame and punishment for your sin, but you are given the credit for his perfect life, his perfect law keeping. Those are the two parts that happen in the swap of salvation. It's a beautiful thing to have a savior that did what we couldn't do. So we want to keep all of God's revealed will found in the word of God. In 7 and 8, we see, verse 7 and 8, we see another uh, command, another application. And we'll say it like this, don't mix with the ungodly influences around you, but cling to the Lord. Read those verses. It says, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. So cling, that's a, the word that's used, it's a word of use of, of, of adhesives, of things sticking, clinging, physically sticking to something. So don't mix with the nations around you. You've got to cling to the Lord cling to him. And it goes on in verse 12 and 13 and says, for if you turn back and cling to the remnant of those nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. He's telling them there's going to be consequences for you if you let yourself be influenced by the world that's around you. All these ungodly influences. And if you uh, put yourself in a position where instead of clinging to the Lord, sticking with him, you think, well, I'm just going to mix with these um, and you're not going to stick to them. You ever, 
you know, you're eating waffles. You know, it, it, somehow it's impossible. To eat. You can be as careful as you want, you know, to not get the syrup on you, but it seems like no matter what, you know, it's a napkin stuck to me, and how is this happening? So people think they can just, you know, mix in, you know, with all these ungodly influences, and you're never going to get stuck. But that's what Joshua is warning them, that, no, you're in real danger of being stuck. And especially when you, you go looking for it, and you, you make marriages with them. Now, the purpose of this was not to say that, uh, you know, interracial marriage or something like that was wrong. This was not about their race or ethnicity. This is the fact that they were worshiping these horrible false gods. If you love Jesus as your first and foremost, he is your, uh, your true love, your highest love, your number one, why in the world would you want to be a life partner with somebody that, that doesn't love Jesus and that loves some uh, idol, that loves some kind of false god, some, some false thinking? We think of this today, how this applies to us. In the New Testament, it talks about believers not being unequally yoked with unbelievers. I think that applies to marriage. That can apply in a lot of things, a lot of close relationships. That if you are, um, you're trying to seek Jesus and you bind yourself with somebody that is heading in a different direction, there's no way that's going to work out. And we try and tell ourselves that, well, we can be a good influence and, you know, we are, we're called to reach other people. We're called to do that. But not in a way that we get dragged down. Not in a way that we get dragged away with this. And it's so easy to be dragged down and dragged away by all these influences. And we live in a world that has, there's so much influence. Um, and last week in his message, Dr. Rogers was talking about this. We just take all this in by osmosis, our world around us. The influencers on uh, YouTube that your kids maybe are watching and maybe you don't even realize it. People at school, the, the media and just everything. We need to make sure that we are clinging to the Lord God and sticking to him. There's another application here in verse 11. So we've talked about keep, cling, and then love. And tells us here to, be, to take care to love the Lord your God. Actually, in verse 11 it says, Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. So it's not just, just do this, do this if it happens. Uh, if you, you know, uh, your, your heart just naturally loves God, it's being careful, be very careful. Meaning we should be active in cultivating this love for God, being, watching our heart, making sure that our heart is not going cold, that our hearts are, are not drifting away or drifting in the wrong direction. And it says, the Lord your God uh, in this, the, the Lord is, is capitalized. It's, it's Yahweh. It's the covenant name for God. This isn't some generic uh, God or whatever God you want. This is the God, like the Bible God, the real true God of Israel. Same way for us. We need to make sure that are we loving the Lord? Are we watching that in our hearts? Are we being careful of this? Last week, um, I was, we were gone, and again, I thank Dr. Rogers and Pastor Nick for, uh, for their uh, outstanding messages that they had last week. Hope and I were gone. We were up in um, Mackinac Island, and people asked, did you stay at the Grand Hotel? Yes, we stayed at the Grand Hotel. 
So, and by stayed at the Grand Hotel, what I mean by that is we went in and we sat on a chair and stayed there for like a minute. <laughs> so that we could say we stayed at the Grand Hotel, because, you know. But anyways, <laughs> but I realized it was our anniversary. And so we went up there and we did that, and it, it worked out to have some other people uh, preaching. You know, and I always wonder, you know, what is the congregation going to think, oh, you know, pastor is slipping away again. Uh, but the people that knew about it were like, good, we're glad that you're caring for your marriage and that you're um, nurturing that and, and, and fostering that. Um, you know, especially if you're going to come and make jokes on uh, next week's sermon. So, <laughs> so but, uh, and I, I was encouraged, you know, that people have that attitude. And, um, you know, we want you to have that attitude with your spouse, too. You know, that you're taking that time. You're doing what you need to do to uh, have date nights, have time together, uh, to, to foster, to nurture, to care for that relationship. Because at one point you made covenant promises to each other. And if we're not careful with those things, you know, it's easy to have time go by, you know, days, weeks, months, and you realize you didn't notice, but, you know, you're, you're drifting or that the relationship is, is cooling down. And so we need to be careful to cultivate that and nurture that. And the reason I say this is that if it is important to do that with your spouse, with your, your covenant partner in marriage, and it is, how much more is it important for you to make sure that you are keeping that, that flame of love in your heart for the Lord fan, that you keep that growing, that you keep that alive, our relationship with God is not meant to be just this uh, illegal thing. Well, I'm saved, and so he can't send me to hell. So, okay, good, I got that checked, and I'm going to go do what I want and love other things. It's not like that. It's not meant to be just an intellectual thing where, okay, here's a bunch of neat truths. Um, there, there are great truths, and we should be using our minds, but it is part of our, our heart, our affections. God wants us to, to love him. And when we love him, it gives us joy because God is the most lovable uh, being that there is. And you realize how much he loves you. And he demonstrated his love for you that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. And we in return, we're called to, in this covenant relationship with him, to love him with our hearts. So how are you doing with that? Are you neglecting that relationship is your love for him growing cold if you don't attend to it there's going to be drift and you won't even realize it until you've drifted quite a ways the flame is going to cool and you won't even realize it be doing what you need to do spend time with the lord spend time in the word spend time hearing from him if this is your spouse you would spend time talking with your spouse you would spend time listening with your spouse do you do that with the lord is it once a week and you come in here and you hear me or pastor nick or somebody talk about the lord or are you also talking with him listening to him spending time working the heart relationship thinking in your heart about his greatness uh, his beauty his faithfulness to you do the things that will help you to kindle and nurture your love for the Lord. One commentator, David Jackman, wrote, The heart of our faith is our heart relationship with our God, and this should be our greatest aim in life, to love God 
more and more. So we have these applications, keep, cling, and to love. And the book of Joshua, then it, it ends uh, kind of in a note of warning. You know, if, if we were writing this, we'd think, oh, maybe Joshua, you could have ended this chapter a little more uplifting than the way it does end, saying, yeah, but if you do this and if you break the covenant, you drift away, there's going to be consequences and you're going to have it coming. But it's ended like this because this is what the people needed to hear. They knew after this conquest that, I mean, you keep reading into the book of Judges, that, you know, they would start to drift away. That some of these things that they were told not to do, they end up doing this. And they get pulled into these relationships that lead them away from the Lord. And there's all these consequences. And God loves them enough to warn them of this. And to, to leave them with this, this note of warning so they don't go down that road. And so that's how the book ends that way. Because they need to hear it. As we've said, marriage you know, is a covenant relationship. And I think marriage can be like an example of this. We think about what a covenant is like. You know, marriage isn't just uh, a legal document and it's not just something you make up. It's this sacred covenant between two people and also with, with the Lord and those that are in society. But it has more than one party. And this Old Testament covenant people of God, there were two sides and God was faithful to his side. He was faithful to his promises it's the main uh, truth that we can take away from this. That God is faithful. He's always faithful. He keeps his vows. He keeps his word. As it says, not one word has failed. And may we be found faithful in return. And just as God was faithful to Israel, God will show his steadfast faithfulness to Christians to the church, to New Testament believers today. So hear this and believe this, that not one word that God has promised to you or I will fail. What was true about God to the Israelites is true to us, to God's New Testament people today. Here's how I want to close this message. It's a different way of doing this, but I want to, I want to finish by thinking about, <clears throat> okay, God is faithful to his promises, great. Uh, what are some of those promises? And I went through and I started compiling a list of some of the, the New Testament, New Covenant promises to believers. Okay? And I kind of got a long list. And then I had to go cut it in half because I realized I have a, a lot here, but um, <laughs> it was a lot. So just remember, there's more where this comes from. But I want to do this. I wanna, we don't usually do this, but I want, it's not going to be on the screen, I want to read these, a collection that I have. It's, it's kind of a lengthy. There's quite a few. But I want to leave you with some of the richness of God's promises he has to you. And I won't give you the references. You might recognize some, but they're from the New Testament. And these are all promises that if you are a believer, okay, if you are saved, these do apply to you. These are not ones that you know, are taken out of context from Israel or something like that, or they may or may not apply. These apply to you. And I would like you, as we close this message, to close your eyes, and I want you to hear the word of the Lord promised to you. So if you're willing, just close your eyes and just listen to these truths. 
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord says, For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. I will never leave you nor forsake you. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, 
For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Behold, I am coming soon. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we realize how faithless we have been. And we thank you that you do not save us by our good works or our ability to keep your law. We would be lost. I would be lost. But you are faithful to your gospel and your promises. We thank you that Jesus Christ came willingly, was given by the Father, and that he died for us and that he was raised for us. He had kept the law for us. And Lord, our salvation is secure in him. Lord, you are so faithful to us beyond anything that we could deserve. But your faithfulness is based on you because you are faithful, Lord God. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your consistency, your glory. Lord, move in our hearts. Help us to love you. Help us to treasure your faithfulness, Lord God. And may we live our lives in a way that shows that we believe what you say. We trust what you say. You are not a liar. You are not someone who can't deliver. You are faithful to your word. And not one of them will fail. We love you and praise you, our faithful God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.